You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, Village Church. My name is Josh Reed, and I serve in the student ministry and the high school ministry um, as a small group leader of 10th grade guys. Our scripture this morning is the parable of the seed growing in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Josh. Morning, church. How are we? All right. We good? All right. I, uh, I had some technical difficulties at the last service. My iPad just shut out, shut off, shut out. So I did this. Y'all remember this? I just printed it. I did. We'll see how this goes. I'm going to start with the iPad, though. Um, I, uh, I wanted to start with some gratitude. And um, I wanted to say some things to you because it's, it's meaningful to me. One, I wanted to say this. Thank you. Thank you, church body, church family, for your care, your support, your prayers, your encouragement. It's meaningful and it matters and it has not gone unnoticed. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Mason King, Nick Crawford, Trevor Joy. Man, those guys can preach. They're faithful. I'm so thankful for them. Um, And then I wanted us to pause and look up and look around just for a little bit. Uh, I I wanted to offer a little bit of perspective for us to appreciate, and it actually dovetails into the message a bit as well. So I'll, I'll start with this. This week, we had the privilege, and I want you to hear that word, we had the privilege of hosting two funerals, two different funerals, two funerals for two young men. Uh, Very painful, sad, hard. And I want you to know what a gift it is to have resources and a facility, but more than that, people who want to be present to create sacred space and sacred times for families, for our community. When people are hurting, it's a gift and a privilege to be able to invite them in to a space to hurt, to mourn, to grieve, to gather, to worship, to be together. So I'm thankful for that. And as there were preparations underway for the services, there were men and women who were bringing in diapers and baby clothes for little ones. And let me tell you why they were bringing in diapers and baby clothes for little ones, because week in and week out, we host here every Thursday night a group of single moms and single dads who are teenagers who are struggling to find their way, and they come here. And they come here, and some of you, many of you, offer hope and care and grace to these teenagers who are trying to figure out how to work through the complications of life and new life in their homes. Just this past week, uh, there was a guy that came for the first time. He actually came and made it all the way to the parking lot two weeks ago, but just couldn't bring himself to come in uh, out of fear, out of shame, out of concern. But this week he did come in. 
And he sat in his small group and was able to hear. And I want you to catch this, church, just for our eyes to be open a little bit. For the first time in his 17-year-old life, had he ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Never heard it. Never heard it. But he came in, in a really challenging and complex time in his own life, heard the gospel, and I don't know that he made a commitment of faith, but he left lighter. He left with a sense of hope, and he left knowing, I can come back. I can come back. And I want him to know, and I want you to know, absolutely come back. You are welcomed in this place. And so if I just keep lifting our eyes a little bit, Every week, about 160 people on Wednesday nights gather here for recovery, and they're coming in to bravely and courageously face the pain that they might be navigating and trying to figure out in their life. We have 16 different groups in recovery, from marriage recovery to kids who are struggling to addiction and everything across the board, who are trying to come in and receive care and hope and grace and love. It happens week in and week out. This past weekend, we hosted something called ID Retreat. We didn't host it here. We hosted it off campus where 130 kids and their parents took a weekend away to have very meaningful and guided conversations about identity, gender, and sex. If you don't think that's an important conversation in this day and age, I don't know what you're doing, but it is. And it's vital for parents to be the first voice in their kids' lives because everybody else is telling them how to think about it. And for parents to step in and to be guided in that space to be able to help little ones know what God says about them because what he says about them is glorious and grand and wonderful. And on the way, absolutely, on the way home, just by way of testimony, on the way home, I'll read this. Uh, A dad wrote this in, my son asked Jesus into his heart on the drive home. Praise God. I'm just trying to lift our eyes to see what's going on. Another parent says this, my son shared some great things that he had heard at school about sex with this being a safe place. We were able to spend some time around some questions that drew it out of him. Thanks for the great parent-child lessons packets. We had some deep conversations about God's designs and desires that were given a memorable, solid foundation to my kid. Praise the Lord. I also want you to know that our children's ministry, we've got about 400 kids who come in week in and week out and learn about the character and the nature of God. And many of you, and I see your shirts, you serve in there and you help facilitate those conversations. On any given week, there's about 1,100 to 1,200 people who are going through men's Bible study, women's Bible study, core classes, transformational leadership communities. It's happening every single week. This past weekend when Trevor Joy preached on the Good Samaritan, the Lord must have stirred in your hearts because missions giving tripled. Praise God. Praise God as you just saw opportunities and thought, that's a way I can meet a need. That's a way I can step in and help. That's a way that I can share and a way that I can serve. Our high school ministry, which is going to meet tonight for an event called The Showdown, it's packed out. But I want you to know that when they do their worship nights, it's completely 100% student-led. Students leading other students in worship. These students who feel like they have a gift and they do have a gift are cultivating those gifts to lead other students, their peers, into the presence of God through worship. That matters. That's a big deal. And it's happening week in and week out. And I just want us to see whether or not you and I see it 
or notice it. God is active. I'm going to say it again because it's where we're going. Whether or not you see it or notice it, God is active. The parable that we will be in this morning is called the parable of the growing seed. It's found in Mark chapter 4. It's the only place that this particular parable is found. Let me say that another way. The parable of the growing seed is not found in Matthew. It's not found in Luke. It's only found here in Mark 4. Mark is written by John Mark. John Mark, who was a companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul and Barnabas. He writes this epistle. And if I compare Mark with Matthew, let me talk about the difference. Matthew is very didactic. He's going to teach and explain. It's going to be long. But Mark, Mark's a tempo guy. He's going to pick up the pace. And he writes in and around the activity of Jesus. And he starts right out of the gate. And he says this. He did this. And 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 he did this. Why is he going at that pace? Well, he's showing And the point of his gospel is this, I am going to show you the activity of Jesus that points and validates his Messiahship, that he truly is the Son of God, the one that did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he writes at that pace and tempo and just line listing out the activity of Jesus. He did this miracle. He did this. He set this person free. And the first eight chapters of the book of Mark are about his Galilean ministry. Then chapters 8 through 16, the second half of the book, is all about Jesus' death and resurrection. Mark pauses, maybe to catch his breath, like I need to here for a second, in chapter 4 and in chapter 13, and he offers some teaching. It's the only time he pauses in all 16 chapters to offer the teachings of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 4, he covers parables, and in Mark chapter 13, he covers the end days or the last days. And in the parables, he's going to cover three parables in Mark chapter 4. The parable of the sower, which Mason covered in week one and nailed it. The parable of the growing seed. And then the parable of the mustard seed. Let me compare these parables so that you know kind of how they're situated together. They share a common metaphor, but they all have their own independent meaning. They share a common metaphor, but they have their own independent meaning. Here's what I mean. They share the metaphor of seeds and soils. But each each of the parables stands on its own. So that you don't have to understand the parable of the sower in order to get the parable of the growing seed. And you don't have to understand the parable of the growing seed to understand the parable of the mustard seed. They are all independent. They all have their own emphasis. They all have their own point. They all have their own meaning. The parable of the sower talks about the nature of the soil and what the environment needs to look like for the maturation of the seed, for the maturation of the believer. The parable of the growing seed is going to talk about the power of the process that has started and the inevitability of the harvest. And the parable of the mustard seed is a story about small beginnings and glorious endings. The parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed are surprise stories. Here's what I mean by that. When you start out, what you get in the beginning and what you get at the end, along the way, you find yourself surprised. I had no idea. 
I had no idea that when this seed went into the ground that it would actually come up days later, years later, and produce a harvest. I had no idea that this small, tiny little mustard seed would produce a tree so grand and glorious. And that's what's happening as Jesus pulls away and begins to teach the crowds. Let me give you a couple of things about this parable before we read it again. Parables are this, and this is Mason's definition. I'm going to use it. They're comparisons. They're stories and similes used to disrupt our thinking, and they invite us to see reality from God's point of view. About a third of all of Jesus' teachings were done in parables, and just about any time he had a crowd gathered, this was his favorite rhetorical device. As we think about these surprise parables uh, with the seed and the mustard seed, Jesus is creating some suspense, and we'll try and draw that out a little bit. But Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he says this, and he said, Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. I'm going to spend my time here talking about two things. I'm going to talk about the power of the process and I'm going to talk about the point of the parable. The power of the process is this. We see a three-part process taking place in this parable. And this process, this three-part process of sow, grow, and harvest is inextricably linked. And what I want to do is tease it apart a little bit, okay, and understand the component parts and then zoom out and understand the whole, because what this parable is not doing is trying to get you to look only at the seed, or only at the harvest, or only at the ground, and, and the way, or the inactivity, or the activity of the farmer. That's not the point of the parable, and we'll get to the point of the parable, but to understand the point of the parable, I want to explain the process. Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is as if. So what he's framing here is called a similitude or like a simile. You remember that phrase from old English days? He's comparing this little story to the kingdom of God. So the framework or the context that we need to understand what Jesus is talking about here is kingdom realities. And he says this, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Let me give you something really boring here. The the verb tense should scatter is in the aorist tense, which means it's a past tense. Catch this, because I think it's awesome. Not grammar, but the point. It's done. The seed is already in the ground. And what Jesus is saying when he says this, the kingdom of God, it's already started. I have initiated it. It's already in play. The seed is already in the ground. It's already been scattered. Mark is detailing here that all of this activity of Jesus means the kingdom has come. It has come. It's not come in its full, but this thing, this thing has already started. It's the aorist tense. It's, it's a done deal. 
And what I love about this is the fact that that seed is already in the ground and the fact that this process means it's inextricably linked together, that what has already been started will come to an eventual end. It will. You can't break it. You can't stop it. You can't wish it weren't so. It will come. The seed is in the ground. And he says this. He sleeps. He rises day and night. This is the farmer. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So here's what I want you to catch about this. Is this farmer? The seed's in the ground. And the verb tense here, he sleeps and he rises. It's a continual aspect. So here, what Jesus is capturing is, yeah, the seed, it's a one and done reality. But now this farmer, he gets up and he goes to bed. He gets up and he goes to bed. He gets up and he goes to bed. It's carrying the idea of of longevity. Day in and day out, life goes on. And all the while, life is moving just like your life moves and my life moves. You have to wonder, the farmer ever forget about the seed? As he kind of went about his day, he just forget about what was planted when he scattered however long ago. And what's interesting is all on the surface, things look, catch this, the same. They look just like they did yesterday. They look just like they did two weeks ago. They look just like they did two months ago. But Jesus is, remember that surprise? Is he's saying to you and to me, he's reminding us in this moment, you can't see it. The farmer doesn't understand it. But there's an underground energy. There's an underground activity There's a mystery that's taking place that you can't catch, but it's happening. And you see this, the kingdom of God, it goes into the ground. This thing is a reality. He sleeps, he rises night and day in the seed. It sprouts and it grows. And the farmer, he doesn't know how. He can't explain it. He didn't do anything to bring it about. It's whether he was active or inactive. He has no explanation for it. It brings about this reality. This is a mystery. And if you have not just stopped and paused to consider the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, you are missing the awe and wonder that Jesus is stoking here. Now catch this. Right now. Right now. Whether or not we have eyes to see it or faith to believe it. Right now, the kingdom of God is sprouting and growing. Right now. Right now, all across the globe, as as governments and rulers and principalities think they are stamping things out, as they walk across the ground, little do they know that underneath their feet is an activity that they cannot stop or quell. There is an underground energy that is about to come forth and burst forth in harvest. Why? Because it's already gone into the ground. And when the seed goes into the ground, it will, check this, it will bring about a harvest. It's not conditioned upon the farmer. It's not conditioned upon anyone else. It is superintended by God 
himself. The seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. How's the gospel going to move in the 1040 window? I don't know. But the seed's in the ground, and it's going to sprout and grow. How is the gospel going to move forward in parts of Asia where it's closed and closed off and people are hostile? I don't know, but it is. How is the gospel going to move in the hearts of my brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors who seem so hostile, so against? I don't know, but it will. How did it move in your heart? I don't know, but it did. But it did. It's like it went into the ground and it brings forth a harvest. And sometimes you got to wait on it. Sometimes you've just got to wonder and question, is it ever going to come forward? But what he is saying is the seed, it's already in the ground. It will come forward. The harvest will come. It is inevitable. It's inevitable. And so we pause in mystery and wonder and exhale. So we sow, it grows, and then check this, the harvest, verse 29. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. When the grain is ripe, at the right time, when the season permits, when the fruit shall allow it, the harvest will come forward. And at that time, in that moment, he puts it to the sickle. It's this idea that he's bringing forth both harvest and judgment. But the tone here is not condemnation. The tone here is manifestation. The tone here is not, and the judgment will come, although it will. The tone here is all of a sudden, the ground gives way just a little bit for that blade to come up. And then the stalk begins to grow and that fruit comes forward on the vine. And there the farmer looks out on the field, harvest. It's not about condemnation. It's about manifestation of the righteous glory of God in the process that he superintends to bring about a harvest. He's bringing about his kingdom. So here is the point. That's the process. The focus of the parable is not on the man. The focus of the parable is not on the seed or the steps of growth of harvest. The focus of the parable is best understood when we take a step back and look at the whole thing. And when we recognize this part's already started. Jesus in his incarnation steps into humanity, begins to teach, preach, demonstrate, miracle after miracle, which is validating his messiahship. He's saying this, the seed is in the ground, y'all. It's in the ground. And he is going to be crucified and then raised to life three days later, vindicating and validating exactly who he is. And he's saying this, that seed, because of what I have done, that seed will bring about a harvest. So here's the point. In the parable of the growing seed, Jesus assures us, hear this church, that despite appearances, despite circumstances, despite a long season of waiting, despite a lack of understanding or explanation, despite our inability, God's kingdom has been planted and is mysterious, 
consistently, imperceptibly, quietly, continuously growing towards its inevitable end, a fruitful harvest. Now, here's how I hope this encourages your heart. Here's how I hope this frees you up a little bit. Because maybe some of you are like me when I can look around above the ground, so to speak, and I walk around and circumstantially feel pressed. I look around at a world that feels insane. Can I get an amen? It feels like it's, it doesn't feel, it's devolving. It, it just feels so out of control. Have you ever felt worried about your kids and the world that they're gonna inherit? Feel worried about your grandkids and the world that they're going to inherit? You look around and just see chaos after chaos at the macro level and the micro level. You see families disintegrating. You see pain sprouting up everywhere. And as we look on top of the ground, at times, it's easy to forget what's happening underneath. I mean, have you ever laid in bed and wondered, when, oh Lord, Will you come back and make this right? Have you like the psalmist, how long, O Lord, must my soul be like this? I guarantee you there were families this week that we hosted and were able to care for whose hearts are yearning and longing for a better day. And you think it's been 2,000 years. How much longer? He rises and he sleeps. He rises and he sleeps. He rises and he sleeps. And he knows not what is going on. But underneath the ground, there's an energy. There's a growth. There's a sprouting that's starting to take place. And I don't know when the harvest is going to come. Jesus said he doesn't know. Only the Father knows when this harvest is coming. But what Jesus is telling to his hearers and to you and me is this. You can take it to the bank It is coming. Despite appearances, despite timing, despite your ability to explain situations or circumstances, despite your faith or your faithlessness, it is coming. And what this should do in us is just cause us in deep gratitude and wonder to worship and celebrate. Just to take a step back and go, Okay, he, he's got this. He is superintending this. He is going to make all things new. He is going to take the crooked paths and make them straight. This is what he is going to do. And what a good God that he would invite me in. Listen to this. I love this quote by Helmut, and I don't know how to say his last name. Mr. T. Now catch this. This is a quote about perspective. One day, perhaps when we look back from God's throne on the last day, we shall say with amazement and surprise, oh, if I had ever dreamed when I stood at the graves of my loved ones and everything seemed to be ended, If I had ever dreamed when I saw the specter of atomic war creeping upon us, if I had ever dreamed 
when I face the meaningless fate of an endless imprisonment or a malignant disease. If I had ever dreamed that God was only carrying out his design and plan through all these woes, that in the midst of my cares and troubles and despair, his harvest was ripening and that everything was pressing on towards his last kingly day. If I had known this, I would have been more calm and confident. Yes, then I would have been more cheerful and far more tranquil and composed. Cheerful, confident, composed, tranquil church. Look, I get the days. Jesus gets the days. We have a great high priest who can empathize with us in our days, but he's saying this, get your head up. Get your head up and know that I've got a thing going on that you don't get fully. You don't understand completely. And all I need you to do is trust and know there is a sure day coming and there's a harvest of celebration that is coming our way. And we as a people, if I could give you this little application, we get to share, we get to sleep, knowing that the celebration is sure. We get to share, we get to sleep, knowing that the celebration is sure. Here's what I mean by that. God has invited us in, not to bring about the kingdom, he's doing it, but to share in the activity of the kingdom. He gets to invite us in to play. He invites us into his space. He, get, he gives us some gardening tools, so to speak. And it's like, get in there and see what it's like. Roll up your sleeves and get some dirt under your fingernails. Share. Share with people the hope of the kingdom. Share with people the hope of Christ, the hope of glory. Share the good news of Jesus' gospel. I was on a plane this week. This is happening all the time. I sit next to a lady. Strike up a conversation, simple. I'm not that guy on the plane. Kind of test the waters, back out if I need to. (laughs) We just start talking. She had been caring for her aging parents. And over this past year, both of them passed. And then she begins to get emotional and weep. And I just sat there with her, listened, cared for her, offered some hope, Offered encouragement. Just like the kingdom right there. It's happening. And then able to say to her, hey, if you're looking for a fellowship, she's in Plano. I know a great church. She's going to go check out citizens. Just rejoice. Like the kingdom is all around. Last week, the encouragement just to ask questions. Hey, I'm a follower of Christ. How can I pray for you? My two little kids, my two little girls. I got four Four kids, two of them, my youngest, the 11 and the nine-year-old, on the way to a football game, stopped at Sonic and said, hey, can we ask this lady how we can pray for her? It's just the kingdom. We're not super parents. You just absolutely need to know that. It's just true. It's just that the activity is happening all the time. And God is inviting you and me into his space, into his garden, the harvest that he's ripening. 
And the invitation is real, it's meaningful, it's significant, and I want you to hear this. It's what you were reborn to do. So share. And then sleep. This is great news. You can rest. You can rest knowing that this this harvest doesn't depend on you. It, It doesn't depend on your wringing hands or your repetitive prayers. It doesn't depend on that. And it doesn't mean that we don't get our hands dirty or that we don't pray. This is not a a call to inactivity. It's a call to freedom in our activity. It's a call to release so that our hearts and bodies are at rest. Breathe. Sleep. He's got this. And we can share and we can sleep knowing this, that the celebration is sure. And that's the tone and the tenor of this parable. There's a fruitful harvest coming. And if you think about the joy around a harvest, that that all the conditions were met to bring about this fruit, God did it. And the farmer and his family, they look out. (sighs) There's a harvest there's a harvest. There's provision. Let's celebrate. Look out, look out. Look at all of the fruit and the grain. There is a harvest. And all throughout the Old Testament, when you see new wine and new grain, you know what that means? It means it's time to party. And that's what Jesus is saying. Lift your eyes up to do and to be about. Celebrate, church. Celebrate, because the harvest is sure. Father, we do love you. What great freedom just to be able to exhale. That you have and you are superintending all of it. All of it. You've got my kids, you've got my family. You've got our church, you've got our community, you've got our state, you've got our country, you've got this world. And you are bringing about a fruitful harvest. We don't know when, but we know it's sure. We know it's certain, we know it's guaranteed. What great comfort that is for us. We bless you, we celebrate you, we honor you. And Lord, I do pray for those who are weary in the waiting. Would you encourage their hearts? Would you lift up their souls? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.